0: War and Peace, Book Nine, Chapter Two. Read for by Ernst patinama Chapter Two.
1: On the twenty-ninth of May, Napoleon left Dresden, where he had spent three weeks, surrounded by a court that included princes, dukes, kings, and even an emperor. Before leaving napoleon showed favour to the emperor kings and princes who had deserved it reprimanded the kings and princes with whom he was dissatisfied presented pearls and diamonds of his own that is which he had taken from other kings to the empress of austria and having as his historian tells us tenderly embraced the empress marie louise who regarded him as her husband though he had left another wife in paris left aggrieved by the parting which she seemed hardly able to bear though the diplomatists still firmly believed in the possibility of peace and worked zealously to that end and though the emperor napoleon himself wrote a letter to alexander calling him monsieur mon frere and sincerely assured him that he did not want war and would always love and honour him yet he set off to join his army, and at every station gave fresh orders to accelerate a movement of his troops from west to east. He went in a travelling coach with six horses, surrounded by pages, aides-de-camp, and an escort, along the road to Posen, Thorn, Danzig, and Konigsberg. At each of these towns thousands of people met him with excitement and enthusiasm. The army was moving from west to east, and relays of six horses carried him in the same direction. On the 10th of June, old style, coming up with the army, he spent the night in apartments prepared for him on the estate of a Polish count in the Wilkowiski forest. Next day, overtaking the army, He went in a carriage to the niemen and changing into a polish uniform he drove to the river bank in order to select a place for the crossing seeing on the other side some cossacks les cossacks and the wide-spreading steps in the midst of which lay the holy city of moscow moscou la ville sainte the capital of a realm such as the scythia into which alexander the great had marched napoleon unexpectedly and contrary alike to strategic and diplomatic considerations ordered an advance and the next day his army began to cross the niemen early in the morning of the twelfth of june he came out of his tent which was pitched that day on the steep left bank of the niemen and looked through a spy-glass at the streams of his troops pouring out of the Vilkaviski forest and flowing over the three bridges thrown across the river. The troops, knowing of the emperor's presence, were on the lookout for him, and when they caught sight of a figure in an overcoat and a cocked hat, standing apart from his suite in front of his tent on the hill, they threw up their caps and shouted, Vive l'Empereur! and one after another poured in a ceaseless stream out of the vast forest that had concealed them. And separating, float on and on by the three bridges to the other side.
0: Now we'll go into action. Oh, when he takes it in hand himself, things get hot. By heaven, there he is. Vive l'Empereur. So these are the steps of Asia. It's a nasty country all the same. Au revoir, Boche! I'll keep the best palace in Moscow for you. Au revoir. Good luck. Did you see the emperor? Vive l'Empereur. If they make me governor of India, Gerard, I'll make you minister of Kashmir. That's settled. Vive l'Empereur! Hurrah! 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 The Cossacks, those rascals, see how they run. Vive l'Empereur! There he is. Do you see him? I've seen him twice, as I see you now. The little corporal. I saw him give the cross to one of the veterans. Vive l'Empereur!
1: Came the voices of men, old and young of most diverse characters and social positions on the faces of all was one common expression of joy at the commencement of the long-expected campaign and of rapture and devotion to the man in the gray coat who was standing on the hill on the thirteenth of june a rather small thoroughbred arab horse was brought to napoleon he mounted it and rode at a gallop to one of the bridges over the niemen deafened continually by incessant and rapturous acclamations which he evidently endured only because it was impossible to forbid the soldiers to express the love of him by such shouting but the shouting which accompanied him everywhere disturbed him and distracted him from the military cares that had occupied him from the time he joined the army he rode across one of the swaying pontoon bridges to the farther side turned sharply to the left and galloped in the direction of Kovno, preceded by enraptured, mounted chasseurs of the guard, who, breathless with delight, galloped ahead to clear a path for him through the troops. On reaching the broad river Vilia, he stopped near a regiment of Polish ulans stationed by the river. "'Vivat!' shouted the Poles ecstatically, breaking the ranks and pressing against one another to see him. Napoleon looked up and down the river, dismounted, and sat down on a log that lay on the bank. At a mute sign from him, a telescope was handed him, which he rested on the back of a happy page who had run up to him, and he gazed at the opposite bank. Then he became absorbed in a map laid out on the logs. Without lifting his head, he said something, and two of his aides de camp galloped off to the polish ulans. What? what what did what he, did he say? say was heard in the ranks of the polish ulans, when one of the aides de camp rode up to them the order was to find a fort and to cross the river the colonel of the polish ulans, a handsome old man flushed and fumbling in his speech from excitement asked the Ed de camp whether he would be permitted to swim the river with his ulans instead of seeking a fort. In evident fear of refusal, like a boy asking for permission to get on a horse, he begged to be allowed to swim across the river before the emperor's eyes. The aide de camp replied that probably the emperor would not be displeased at this excess of zeal. As soon as the aide de camp had said this, the old moustached officer, with happy face and sparkling eyes, raised his sabre, shouted, VIVAT! and, commanding the Uhlans to follow him, spurred his horse and galloped into the river. He gave an angry thrust to his horse, which had grown restive under him, and plunged into the water, heading for the deepest part where the current was swift. Hundreds of Uhlans galloped in after him, there was cold and uncanny in the rapid current in the middle of the stream, and the Uhlans caught hold of one another as they fell off their horses. Some of the horses were drowned, and some of the men. The others tried to swim on, some in the saddle, and some clinging to the horses' manes. They tried to make their way forward to the opposite bank, and, though there was a fort one-third of a mile away, were proud that they were swimming and drowning in this river, under the eyes of the man who sat on the log, was not even looking at what they were doing. When the aide de camp having returned and choosing an opportune moment, ventured to draw the emperor's attention to the devotion of the poles to his person, the little man in the grey overcoat got up, and, having summoned Berthier, began pacing up and down the bank with him, giving him instructions, and occasionally glancing disapprovingly at the drowning Uhlans who distracted his attention. For him it was no new conviction that his presence in any part of the world, from Africa to the steppes of Muscovy alike, was enough to dumbfound people and impel them to insane self-oblivion. He called for his horse and rode to his quarters. Some forty Uhlans were drowned in the river, though boats were sent to their assistance. The majority struggled back to the bank from which they had started, the colonel and some of his men got across and with difficulty clambered out on the further bank. And as soon as they had got out in their soaked and streaming clothes, they shouted VIVAT! and looked ecstatically at the spot where Napoleon had been but where he no longer was, and at that moment considered themselves happy. That evening, between issuing one order that a forged Russian paper money, prepared for use in Russia, should be delivered as quickly as possible, and another, that a Saxon should be shot, on whom a letter containing information about the orders to the French army had been found, Napoleon also gave instructions that a Polish colonel who had needlessly plunged into the river should be enrolled in the Légion d'honneur, of which Napoleon was himself the head. Quos vult perdere dementat. Those whom God wishes to destroy, he drives mad. End of chapter two. Recording by Ernst Patinama, Amsterdam, the Netherlands.